Hi, welcome to Architecture, where you can get smart fast with in-depth interviews with technology executives. I'm here today, this is Ari Papero. I'm here today with Brian Barletta, the founder of Sounds Profitable. So Sounds Profitable, uh, I guess you could call it the Marketecture of Podcasting, uh, is an incredible website and resource for learning everything about podcasting and podcast advertising and the business of podcasting. So Brian, thank you for being here. Hey, thank you so much for having me. So Marketecture and Sounds Profitable are uh, in a partnership and we're going to have a lot of great podcasting content, but we thought we'd kick it off with what I'm calling podcasting for ad tech dummies. So this is, uh, like myself, a lot of people who listen to this are sort of ad tech and martech people, and we probably know a lot about advertising in phones and on web browsers, but probably not so much about the podcast advertising space. So in this sort of whirlwind adventure, we're going to try to pick Brian's brain and learn what we know and what we don't know. Does that sound good? It sounds awesome. I'm happy to help. Okay. Now I'll just kick it off to you. Why podcast advertising? Why should we be excited about this? So I think more and more people are listening to it. I mean, there's stats all the time that are talking about the growth in it. Edison Research is a fantastic company that talks about the uh, number of people listening to podcasts, the interest in audio overall, the time spent with audio continuing to increase, and the age groups that are really getting into it. I mean, while we aren't doing the best by the younger generation and some of the older generation, podcasting is becoming more and more powerful in those middle groups. And I think it's great. I think it would be shocked, first off, that uh, the podcasts that we're recording right now, the people who are listening to it don't also listen to other podcasts or consume other audio and video media where you probably don't have to look at the screen. We have time to consume additional content. And while audiobooks continue to be stable, radio is on the decline. And it's easy to pop in an earpod and just kind of call it a day. Go for a walk, listen to a podcast, check out for a little bit, connect with your favorite friends or be educated. So it continues to grow. The number of podcasts is somewhere over 4 million. I think Spotify quoted at 5 million. And the industry is just getting bigger and bigger. That's incredible. So um, I did some quick Googling. So the IAB estimated that the advertising business and podcasting this year would be about $2 billion and that around 84% of the ads would be what they call dynamically inserted. Is those numbers sound right to you? Yeah, and I think the IEB actually admits that their numbers are US-based. So I think it's somewhere around 40% of that also is occurring outside the US, maybe even closer to 50 now at this point. So definitely closer to 3 billion globally. And we're seeing a lot of uh, non-US markets pick up more and more. I think the English-speaking markets are the easiest ones that we're seeing grow at the same rates because CPMs are similar. But I think that podcasting, because it's an audio form, because it's on demand, is booming in every country because of how easy it is to create the content and how easy it is to get in front of those listeners. So not bad numbers, but the IAB definitely is focused on the U.S. market. Okay, so three, four billion maybe sounds like a round number. Uh, it's not small potatoes. Like digital out of home is something like 20. So it kind of gives you a contrast of how it's small, but it's growing and it's exciting. Yeah, that's the hard part there. I mean, we acknowledge it as an industry. I think last year I wrote a little bit about what I could find about influencer marketing being over $10 billion at that point. CTV is booming, like you just said, digital out of home. In comparison, it's not very big. But I think the cool parts about it is there's a lot of ad tech that's already built into it, a lot of streams that people can get access to. And the audience is so engaged, right? Their hands are usually doing something else. They're bought into the content there. They're listening to someone that they take an endorsement from or something that is relevant to their interest. So they're very engaged there. So while 
it's not there today. I think that people who ignore it until it gets to that point are going to miss a lot of the value that they can get out of it. Yeah, good point. So we're going to go into some depth on all of these questions about ad tech and how it works. But first, tell us the story of Sounds Profitable. I know you come from an ad tech background, kind of. So how did you get to Sounds Profitable? What is the offering there? I've been in ad tech for 13 or 14 years now. I worked in mobile advertising to start basically any company that started with an M I worked at. So a lot of fun times there. And then I went over to a company called AdTherent where I was their product manager and they had an attribution product called Traction at the time. Traction eventually became Barometric, which I was one of the founding members of, and Barometric focused specifically on podcast attribution. A lot of IP-based stuff at that point, their own device graph that they were able to work with. And then it split off and was sold to Claritas. I was over there for a little bit before I went over to Megaphone, where I was senior product manager of data and monetization. And my job was to basically improve the ad server and work with their data pipeline. Kind of hard to rewrite an ad server while they're trying to sell a company. <laughs> so uh, it didn't quite work out for us. And in August of 2020, after only nine months at Megaphone, I was let go. And I realized at that point that so much in podcasting was kick the can down the road, right? Like we're not educating people. We were at a point in podcasting technology that people were getting a job in podcasting. They didn't necessarily care about it. They didn't have a background in it. They weren't invested in it from the start. So they got a job. They were told to do what they were supposed to do and they didn't question it. And I realized that there were people underutilizing the tools or had no grasp of the tools. Even worse, there were some people out there that only understood their company's version of what podcasting was. And I saw that as a hindrance to the industry growing. So I asked James Cridlin of Pod News if we could do another newsletter. So we partnered with them to kick things off. We created Sounds Profitable and it was aimed at the account managers, the sales planners, the ad ops people in this industry who had questions, who weren't getting their answers, then to educate their bosses and the bosses above them so that they could make sure that this information on how it actually works was made available. And I wasn't sure what it was going to become. Like I thought it was going to be how Brian gets a job somewhere else. But now we're two years deep. We have about 8,000 people subscribed to our newsletter. We write once a week. We do quarterly live events. We do quarterly unique research. We have five podcasts, two of them in Spanish. And we cover everything you need to know about the business of podcasting for the people that are working in the industry or the people looking to get into it. So when you say business, that's not exclusive to advertising. You cover subscriptions, production, syndication, really everything? I would say the production we don't dig too deep into, but okay. yeah, subscription, syndication, basically anything that the company needs to monetize the podcaster to make things profitable for them. So yeah, like I said at the intro, I'd recommend uh, listeners to Architecture to check out Sounds Profitable, and a bunch of the content from Sounds Profitable is going to start appearing in this feed and throughout our site. But let's get back to podcasting for dummies. Sorry, podcasting for advertising dummies. And let's start on the sell side. I, I think the sell side is always easier to understand. So I have a podcast. I want to sell some ads. Take me through what options I have. Is there really ad serving going on here? And do I have to use Spotify and Apple solutions or can I choose my own? Those kind of a pretty wide ranging set of questions. Yeah, no, but it's good. It's good. Thinking about it on the listener side, 
the app doesn't really play into it very much, except in a very small case with Spotify, which we can circle okay. back to. But most of the time, the app is just a web browser, right? In the same way that Chrome doesn't necessarily serve ads to me, Apple Podcasts doesn't have a way to serve ads to me. The podcast player, when you press play on a specific podcast, is making a file request from that hosting company. The hosting company allows the podcaster to put their file up there, and it's really just like downloading a file from Dropbox. It's a request for the file. They confirm that the file was sent. They know how much of it they were sent, but that's about it. And there are a few methods for adding ads in there. So, I mean, you basically just did a baked-in endorsed ad for sounds profitable. Like that's built into the content that's in the file that gets uploaded there. So that's one way of doing advertising and that's tracked on the download because at any point, there's no way to separate the ad from the episode. Everybody who downloads it gets access to that ad. Dynamic ad insertion is something that's been around, I think six, seven, maybe longer at this point, but it's based around the idea that when the listener presses play, And the request is made, their IP address, their user agent, and the episode that they're requesting gets made to the hosting platform. And the hosting platform uses all that information to decide where each ad marker is and what ads should be inserted in there. They can do it locally, which is what's done most of the time. So the hosting platform is the ad server all together as one, and the publisher would set up their own ads. There's the concept of network access. So like Megaphone's Spotify ad network, that is basically a super network. Someone logs in above you and places these ads into all relevant shows that fit that targeting. And we even have access to programmatic now, and that's done through a vast call through a campaign or on the back end for the whole hosting platform making the call on behalf of that individual episode. But now that decisioning happens, the ads are identified, the hosting platform has to take each of them and combine it into one final episode and then serve that episode back to the listener. And they have to do that in a series of seconds. Okay, so this is effectively similar to what's done in the CTV business called SSAI, server-side ad insertion. Yeah. Right. So the ad is baked in. It might be dynamically baked in or statically baked in, but it's baked in. And so you have some ability to target an ad. Geography is, you know, at least at the country level or maybe the state level is pretty accurate when you're using IP address. You have the content, but you don't have a lot more than that. So there's some limitations. There's some well, significant limitations. What you can Yeah, do I mean, it. one of the things that we do is we, a lot of the platforms focus on identifying household, cellular, and business. And cellular and business have less value, but you can usually degrade the time that the person's there. If you were doing attribution, right? You're just looking cellular. You probably give them an hour or two at that IP address and user agent to make a conversion. Mm -hmm. And even then that really is a level of confidence that you have to weigh against. But household is pretty solid. And more and more, there are partners out there that will take the IP and match to a household address, or there are third-party data providers out there that still match off of household IP address. That's something that all of ad tech and your audience know very well is a pain point. But IP as a first-party data point has been pretty solid, but Nielsen has been a staple of podcasting. Not the most accurate, but it's been a staple of (laughs) podcast targeting for a while. But you're right. We are limited on what we can target. IP and geo is really solid. The user agent to know what podcast player it's in or what type of device it's on. And then the episode. But where we've started to expand as an industry is really around that episode. Not only the title and description, but being able to transcribe that, being able to do sentiment analysis, being able to contextualize all of the content in there, not just for the show, but each individual episode. It's been really exciting seeing people dig into it. 
Yeah, yeah, sure. It makes sense that if you have the episode, you could do uh, natural language processing on that, get the text out, figure out what they're talking about, combine that with, say, a list of IP addresses you might rent from an Equifax or some other data broker. But how often does that stuff actually happen? Because always the problem with ad tech is the trade-off between precision and scale. And when we're talking about podcasts, where there are 4 million podcasts, as you just said, and so the listenership of any one might be limited, and now you're talking about dividing that audience into microgroups, that seems like it's a pretty significant problem. I would say that more often than not, people are identifying shows that they want to be associated with and buying inventory there, whether 100% share a voice for a slot or a run of that show or that network that might not be complete there. Programmatic has become attractive because there are smaller shows on there and as more and more shows pop up that they don't have enough downloads to justify direct contact with an advertiser, they're able to do that. And the targeting is there. Trade Desk has been incredibly active in podcasting. We have other DSPs like AudioHook that have been really exciting and engaged. And AdsWiz as well is an SSP and a DSP in podcasting. So I think there are the options there. But yeah, I don't think anybody's very excited right now to spend additional money to target something that doesn't add a ton more for them when they can look at the show itself and figure out, is this show overall a right fit? Do I want to do an announcer red ad? Do I want to pursue a host red ad? How do I want to go about it? That seems to be the bigger path currently. Yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at. All right. So show targeting being the most obvious thing. On the sell side, you said that many people use their podcast hosting provider for ad serving. What are the leading vendors in that space? Yeah, so Megaphone's owned by Spotify, Art19's owned by Amazon. We have Triton Digital and Omni Studio Triton Digital as a combination there. Simplecast AdsWiz is another one. Those are the four enterprise ones because Omni and Triton roll up to iHeart. Simplecast AdsWiz rolls up to SXM. Those are those are considered like the four enterprise ones. There are plenty of other in the middle that do great dynamic ad insertion and options there for enterprise partners like Spreaker, Red Circle, Podbean. There are a lot of really cool options that allow that. But then, you know, it even goes further down. There's plenty that don't allow any sort of ads directly inserted in there, rss.com. There's some that do a finite number, more like spot buys, right? Like a finite number of ad combinations where I can say this ad only shows up on Monday and this one on Tuesday, like Captivate, which is owned by Dax, Transistor, and Buzzsprout. So many options there. But for the audience that I tend to talk to, it's about the dynamic options. And those yeah. four partners are the big ones. I can't forget Audioboom as well. Audioboom is Audio a killer Boom. independent one too. For the sake of disclosure, Marketecture uses Captivate, not a paid endorsement. Uh, <laughs> um, so if you're using one of these platforms, you may serve the ads there or you may offer it programmatically. When you use it programmatically, do you need to add another vendor like an AdSwiz or a traditional SSP? Or do those hosting vendors also, you know, integrate with the programmatic world and get demand from the trade desk at all? So right now, programmatic can only be served by hosting platforms that offer dynamic ad insertion and accept vast tags. Now, some of them can do the vast on their back end. Red Circle is a great example there. They offer dynamic ad insertion for the publisher, but the vast situation is handled behind the scenes and Red Circle represents all their inventory collectively to SSPs and DSPs. But on you know Megaphone, Art19, AdsWiz, and Triton, you'd put it in yourself as a publisher or some of them, AdsWiz and Triton are SSPs and you can just set things up through a deal ID. There's a mix though. I mean, the um, open path, I believe, is what's been 
more and more popular with like the trade desk going directly to the publishers and those solutions, because it's just a vast tag, we're seeing that in podcasting a lot. The concept of an SSP being required isn't as ingrained because if a publisher just knows they have to set up a campaign and the options for the campaign are, this is always on and somebody might respond to it with an ad, or this is for a specific campaign that I need to match the impression limit to and they're just gonna handle the creative. It doesn't seem to impact the publisher much because if the request goes out and it doesn't respond with anything, it just collapses and goes down to the next creative in line because it's server side, there's no loss of inventory unless we get to a timeout point. Yeah, unlike display ads, you don't have to fill a box. You could just skip the ad break. Yeah, no no clouds there, you know? <laughs> yeah, no clouds, no uh, PSAs. I guess there may be some PSAs. You said there was one exception with Spotify. I'd like to hear about that, but I'd also like to answer the question of why are so many of these platforms owned by ad sales groups, be it Amazon or whomever? Uh, seems to be some synergy there, at least brewing. Well, dig into Spotify real quick on that one because I think it'll set their groundwork for it. So Spotify purchased Anchor a while back and recently bought both Megaphone and Wooshka. And Spotify had a great integration with Megaphone. And basically, they hosted their own shows on there. And when the request came for a download for Spotify's owned and operated shows from the Spotify app, Spotify would get special response back from Megaphone outside of the normal response that's podcasting in the open RSS standard. Uh, that would not have the ads involved and would identify where the ad markers are. Spotify as an app then would fire those markers. They would fire from the app a call for an ad. So it's fired from the client's right. device themselves. And that's in-app audio advertising. I, I really kind of make a point of that because I think Spotify's done some really cool things. And I think that they've added a lot of value to podcasting, but their insistence that that's like podcast advertising is harmful because they use it to put down the server-side ad insertion, the dynamic ad insertion that we do. And the truth is, Spotify sells a majority of their inventory dynamic ad insertion. So that method that's really cool in their app is a very small amount of their inventory because Spotify also has access to all their non-exclusive shows, all the right. publishers that host on Megaphone. That's the Spotify ad network. If they opt into that, Megaphone and Spotify have the ability to sell into that inventory. Right. So in theory, if you own the app and you are selling ads, you do have some pretty big advantages, namely... You can do the ad insertion in real time as opposed to SSAI or uh, dynamic ad insertion. So that means that you're going to be able to charge on impressions instead of downloads. And then also you can use the login information and say bridge from a user's email to all interesting data about them as opposed to using the IP address. But you're saying that's more theoretical that actually the Spotify ad network is still mostly more generic. Well, Spotify does that for their owned and operated. So like the Joe Rogan show, I mean, yeah. not a fan even a little bit, but if you <laughs> listen to that show, 10 seconds into it, there is an in-app audio advertising. It interrupts it. It changes what it shows for the ticker. Like if you're listening to music and it changes to another song, it shows the name of the ad. You can scrub through the ad if you want, but it shows you that process in real time. It's a great experience to check out. That's something that Spotify on the shows that they own, their internal shows they provide, but they've yet to really expand that to 
the publishers on Megaphone or on any other hosting platform. And it's interesting because Spotify and Megaphone have started expanding that Spotify ad network to more than just Megaphone publishers. They're publishers right. on other platforms as well because they want access to that inventory because they can go to market and sell that blend of a little bit of that in-app audio advertising and a lot of the dynamic ad insertion. And I believe that you can get a ton of insight in there that you can apply to a dynamic ad insertion campaign. Right. Yeah. You can use the data to better estimate the other data and not absolutely. Mention, yeah. And they have the device. So they could theoretically also track ad listens, even for server-side inserted ads, potentially. So, okay. So Spotify is a big ad network. Is this business just going to be dominated by ad networks because it's fragmented? LinkedIn has a podcast network. Spotify, does Apple have a podcast? Or are they thinking about a podcast network? Is that in the cards? Yeah, and my gut says Apple is going to focus more on what they do with the App Store and provide publishers paid ways to advertise their podcasts to generate more interest. I'm excited about that because I think it's going to be a big boom and people really like that. The process is, right now is a little manual. I mean, you fill out a form and hopefully Apple responds back and they promote your show. Um, <laughs> and, you know, that's... I think democratizing a little bit with the option to buy impressions for that isn't a terrible thing. The networks are really active. That's the truth of it. There are people out there that are able to create podcasts themselves and be able to negotiate with all these partners. I mean, depending on the hosting platform you pick, you can also find a second seat seller to represent your inventory. That hosting platform sits behind them and can try and fill whatever they don't sell. Behind that, you can set up programmatic, then you can do swaps. So publishers have a lot of options there, but the options really do tend to come down to who do I want to host with because I want their monetization options. Right. And that's a big push for it right now. I think almost every hosting platform out there is involved in the monetization side of it because being able to take up to 30% is really powerful for their business. And I don't know, how is that for a standard in other industries for like a network taking 30%? I think that sounds about right. Usually if there is optimization involved and it's a non-disclosed percentage, like the old ad.com model or L90, it could be a lot higher, maybe 50, 60%. If you're just doing uh, effectively repping, uh, then probably 30 makes yeah. sense. A lot of it right now is repping, but a lot of them are building out their own value plays that are trying to get them closer to that 50%. Because, I mean, there is value in that. If they can represent the inventory unique, if they have something that makes it more interesting or more successful for driving attribution, I mean, that's very valuable there. But it's that line between everybody being at 30% and it being accessible through programmatic and everybody being at 50% revenues being higher, but you need to know a guy to buy podcasting. That doesn't necessarily <laughs> feel great for where I want the space to go. Yeah, it sounds really interesting. You could model it out a bunch of ways. Uh, certainly, if you're using the trade desk and using vast tags, the overall take rate buy and sell side would probably be a lot lower if you're buying through a sales house and just throwing your money at things probably the take rate, you might not even know what it is. Interesting dynamics. Let's talk about measurement and attribution. So let's start with measurement. So the IAB standard, is it downloads or listens? It's downloads, yeah. So it's the concept of 60 seconds of audio has been downloaded by the listener's device. And they specify that because at the beginning of the file is the ID3 tag most often, and that includes like the metadata about the file itself, sometimes the image for the artwork there. And I have seen accidents where people put a 25 megabyte image file. So you need to make sure that you get 60 seconds of the audio downloaded on the device. I do wanna make clear that it is incredibly easy to do that. I mean, yeah. seven seconds 
of playing a podcast is enough to download easily over a minute and a half. You can test this yourself by pressing play, going on airplane mode, and just seeing how long it'll play for. But everything in podcasting is progressive download, and all the hosting platform knows is how much was requested and how much they sent. In that process, though, they know not only downloads, but where the ad was inserted and when the portion of the episode that had the ad was sent to the listener, that's counted as ad delivery or our impression. And the thing to keep in mind is that podcasting doesn't tend to like have a shuffle mode. It's not like music where people just wander through it. Almost all podcasting plays at this point are intent based. There is auto downloading on Apple Podcasts, but they do have a really conservative expiration process on there. It's if you haven't listened to one of the last five episodes of a podcast in, I think it's like 10 or 14 days. So people are like, they'll still follow the show. They'll still get the alerts of it, but it won't auto download it. Podcasting is very intent based. Yeah. So in general, this counting methodology of one minute progressive download, that's pretty liberal. So it's over counting. I think we could acknowledge that. Well, it used to be even less. Yeah, I mean, IMDb1 was even smaller than 60 seconds. And this is the hard point. You know, when I started, I really defended the download. And I think the download has its merits. I think in the same way that there are people out there justifying direct mail and Mm -hmm. uh, out-of-home billboards and all of that, like podcasting isn't really that far off. But because it's digital, it doesn't get compared to those or radio or anything else. It gets compared to Facebook, where everything is one-to-one and people have all these metrics. And that's really kind of a heartache. I think in podcasting, we would love to get more data from the listeners, but the listening apps aren't obligated to send that. The IAB only governs the hosting platforms and the publishers and really has no teeth when it comes to asking those players to come be certified or participate in any sort of standards. They've definitely let us down on that. And that means that while Apple and Spotify and I believe Amazon and Google all have logins in their dashboard that show you app actions, A lot of it's aggregated. A lot of it's not easy to apply to specific episodes. A lot of it is not the same language between all of those platforms. And worse, you can't even set up a direct export from that to your hosting platform for your hosting platform to model Mm. off of. So because of all that additional lift, the truth of it is when you run attribution on a podcast, you know what metrics to look for. If you run on a show that has high downloads, but nobody actually listens all the way through the end of it, you know very quickly that nobody is buying that product. Nobody's using that promo code. Nobody that was exposed to it at a household IP is also purchasing it at their same household. And that becomes a real clear indicator for direct response publisher or advertisers. The problem becomes brand advertisers. And also the problems that the publisher is the only one with privy to a lot of this data, right? So the advertisers don't, so just explain this. So the provider knows downloads and that's the IP standard. And then they get sort of a hodgepodge of other metrics from the different players. And do these providers generally try to make sense out of those metrics? And No, the listen, the app listen metrics don't factor into anything we do at this okay. point because it's not there. And, you know, I think there's room for it to get there. And I think it probably will have to get there, but- It's tough because here's a great example. Spotify isn't benefited in any way by helping the rest of us match their numbers to Apple. Right, sure. Right, But Apple and Amazon probably are benefited if their numbers can match because they see things more aligned, I think, than Spotify does. But attribution... In analytics and podcasting, there are third-party solutions. I think we've spent a lot of time as an industry there. 
in the request from the podcast player all the way to the hosting platform, that's just the URL that's in the RSS feed. Sure. The concept of prefix URLs, which is you just prepend it. It's like a redirect, like a bitly basically, mm-hmm. and uh, or click prepend. I'm explaining it to an actual ad tech audience, not used to being on a podcast <laughs> like this. I apologize. And they get all that request data. And most of the times outside of the Apple platform, they also get every additional request from the listener back to the hosting platform. That's enough for them to be IAB certified. The accuracy is close enough. We're not in a place where people bill off of those numbers. There's no DCM equivalent in podcasting. So that helps for the download aspect there to have a gut check that the advertiser can have access to. For attribution, when that point happens where ad delivery is counted, where the ad has been sent to the listener's device, there are server-side pixels that are fired with the listener's IP and user agent in the episode info. And those partners take that info, try to match it to a device graph, and uh, try and match it to the conversion element on the website, the app, whatever it is. One-to-one in podcasting is a place I do not recommend anybody spend any time with. I feel substantially too many questions from that because, I mean, think about it. Cellular and business are really hard to match, but household's going to be doing great. The show might launch at 3 p.m. and everybody who's really into it downloads it in the middle of the afternoon. Not a lot you can do there. But Lyft, modeled attribution, is the bread and butter of podcasting. And when you look at Lyft over baseline, they build a control group that looks like the exposed group. They definitely didn't hear the ad. And they let you know, based on the flow to the website, based on the media that's been run, over baseline, what did this drive? And that helps you optimize. Yeah. So I want to step back. I'm not sure I fully understand the click prepend idea. So who is hiring this vendor? Is that an advertiser side vendor that's doing the redirect on the podcast download? Yeah. So a lot of the publishers used partners like PodTrack and Chartable for the longest time and PodSites as well. PodSites and Chartable were recently acquired by Spotify. Okay. <laughs> two of the largest attribution parties. And and I think their data is still fantastic, but I really advocate to everybody that it's not third party anymore. Uh-huh. Even if you're not on Spotify's platform, it's just, it's great data, but it's first party data now. PodTrack has had too many run-ins with the IAB for me to feel comfortable recommending them. But, you know, there are new solutions. Claritas has a prefix pixel, Magellan, Podscribe, Gumball. Everybody is building oh, yeah. one, Veritonic. They're all building this because it's a valuable thing to identify and second count the downloads. So who hires them, the advertiser or the publisher, and who implements it? A lot of publishers just work with the vendors okay. directly that and makes provide more sense. it as a service to the advertiser, but there are okay. plenty of advertisers and agencies that insist that the publisher work with certain vendors for them. Okay, so the publisher, you're doing a deal with a publisher, let's say, just to make it simple, and you ask them, could you provide us with the measurement, and then this third party streams or sends them logs of the IP addresses of the people who were exposed, and then they could do whatever they want to Yeah, and and these partners that provide the prefix tend to provide the ad attribution option for dynamic insertion as well. Prefix is not as relevant lately as more and more things move to dynamic ad insertion, but it's still valuable for some. And so, yeah, I mean, the whole solution's there. I will say, like, it's not logs or anything like that. They're beautiful interfaces that are perfect for screenshotting so that you can show the arrow going up and to the right to your (laughs) boss and his boss, and then you can get back to your underpaid job. You can't get logs? Like, because I know a lot of folks who just won't do anything without logs. When we kicked things off, uh, when I was at Barometric, everything we provided was logs, and it was 
really hands-on. Like you basically needed a data scientist from the team to catch the sure. data and do anything with it. It kind of rebounded to pretty websites. And now I think it's moving back towards logs. I think there's a lot of partners working with clean rooms and whatnot to get the data exported out through there or working with their, you know, device graph partner of choice to get the data exported. It's coming back into style, but I think we overcorrected as an industry when we realized half the companies we were trying to work with didn't have the right person to, to do anything with that raw data. Makes sense. All right, I'm going to bring up your favorite topic because I've heard you speak elegantly about it. Fraud and the iHeart situation. So some people out here listening to this may have just seen this weird little blip a couple of weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago, about a company called June Group, which is a mobile game provider and game network that was serving podcast ads and it was very mysterious. Tell us why it was malicious and not mysterious, I guess. I don't want to put words at your mouth. Yeah. But- So like a lot of thoughts on this. Let me see if I can condense it down. So, you know, I think the process of identifying rewarded inventory, right, incentivized inventory has been discussed to death. And I think that when people understand what they're buying, if it works for them, it works for them. That's fine. And so Subway Surfer's not blaming fault there, not even blaming June Group in this situation, which, by the way, every quote from them is basically like twirling their mustache and saying like, yes, we know. And Good on them for knowing who they are. Exactly. It's very, very interesting take. And iHeart said, I'd like to buy this inventory. And at the end of the day, like if you want to buy downloads for your show, I don't really know necessarily where I sit on that. I think take, that take I, us. I'm sorry, I did interrupt. Take us through what the consumer saw. And yeah, what, so the consumer died in the game and then got the option to experience an ad for an extra life. And the ad is a 20-second break that can be broken up into two 10-second blocks. This is where, like, separating out buying downloads, this is a problem, right, for here. Because iHeart and team created a web page that had the most lackluster podcast player in it that had really no way to continue the experience outside of the ad. Um, and every 10 seconds, it switched to a new podcast, a player, a new page on it. So it was two downloads. The first three seconds, nothing happens. Then the podcast plays for seven seconds. iHeart has on average like 12 ads per episode. I'm going to say that only the first three, because they start off with three ads at the beginning, were counted as downloaded in this scenario there. So two downloads, like one unique download because it's one person experiencing both of them, two total downloads, three per each of those downloads, three ad impressions, right? Ad delivery. If it didn't have the ads in it, I don't know how much I would care. I don't know how much anybody would care because that's inflating numbers that's going to show on performance. But the problem is, is that Subway Surfers knew, June Group knew, iHeart knew, but there's no way for the advertisers who bought that inventory, even if they use these third-party analytics solutions, to know that they were an incentivized inventory. Because at best, it would show as an unknown user agent. And we, yeah. we at, in podcasting need to devalue that. If you can't identify what player it was on or where it was played, if it's web, like a referral URL, advertisers should simply stop paying for it. And so in this situation, iHeart was buying thousands Sorry, it was millions of downloads, millions of downloads per month since 2018 in this fashion. And it sucks because. So, yeah. So yeah, you, I mean, you bought an ad, your iHeart rep called you up and said, you know, we're iHeart, we're a leader in podcasting, buy some ads and, and it'll be great. You get these reports saying how many people listen to your ads. And some portion of those, significant portion of them, were people who were playing a mobile game who got a very weird web based snippet of podcast content likely did not listen to any of the ads on that 
or may have very briefly listened to them and then went back to playing their game. That's- yeah, they didn't each person at best listen to about seven seconds of the first of three three minute ads per each of those downloads. Yes. Um, and yeah, you had no idea about any of that. I think it was quoted at almost 17% of iHeart's total unique downloads per month were attributed to this. It's massive. Oh my God. So aside from iHeart, this one incident, which is horrible, like how widespread do people think? Well, there's real fraud, like people who are not people. And then there's sort of improper placement of ads, which is what I would call this iHeart situation. Um, How widespread is this? And is there any service that monitors it? So ad verification has become really powerful. And there's a lot of companies out there that will download a podcast episode multiple times and identify how many ads are in there in a row, checking for all the content of the ad was done correctly for the advertiser or if there was duplicates and all that information there. We're pretty strong on that as an industry and more and more people are buying into it. I don't really know. I mean, iHeart was spending a substantial amount of money each month to do this. Like this was a really concerted effort. And I think that, to do it at this scale, I I would be shocked if we found another company who did that because you would need very high numbers, download numbers, and probably very low conversions for any of your campaigns on there. We we would have more conversations about it. The iHeart situation would have spun it up. I think there are plenty of ways out there to generate downloads to raise the rank of your show that don't stick. And I don't necessarily believe that's bad. I mean, if you have an ad that drives to a landing page that has your podcast player and someone consumes it there a little or a lot of it, that's fine right? Because it's the intent base. It has all the clickouts for you to go subscribe to it somewhere else. It's just not the best environment because you're on your computer and maybe single digit percentage convert over. But if you know that going into it, that's fine. I think fraud is a tough word in podcasting. I think people defrauding advertisers by buying downloads to juice their numbers is probably less likely than improper placements. I think that that's more likely. And and I did frequency capping tests and I heard also flagged on there for running the same ad, the same exact three ad break four Oof. times in an hour long episode. So that's closer to where it is, but there are tools to monitor this for advertisers. So yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's any worse than any other space. I don't know. Generally the rule of thumb is if you aren't actively measuring it, it's a lot worse than you think. That's just generally the uh, that might the, be the, the rule case. Thumb. Then my motivation right now is that everybody should be out there identifying the user agents yeah. of where the inventory is running. And if you don't know where it is as an advertiser, you should not be buying that inventory. Agreed. So last thing, you, you know, looking forward, what should the people listening to this being ad tech, martech professionals, you know, what should they be thinking about for podcasting over the next year or so? I think they should understand what they want to do creatively. I think you can't just take over the audio from a video campaign or even from radio. You need to sometimes create unique podcasts creative. So I think that that's probably the biggest hurdle for a lot of these people. I think that as it gets closer and closer into programmatic, it's going to be easier for people to spend. I encourage people to try it out. I think you'll find a lot of success there, even if it's directional success, even if it's another way to get a touch point on somebody that you've already identified and you want to retarget to them, or you want to build a list of people that like a certain show and might like your product and then retarget them outside of podcasting. I think blending it in is really smart. I think now's the time to strike. It is going to continue to get bigger and it's doing a really good job of that. It's capturing the conversation everywhere. And I think the partners that are savvy about it will be able to do really well by their brand and direct response advertisers. Awesome. Okay, one last question. Uh, We ask everyone, if Sounds Profitable was an animal, what animal would it be? Oh, God. 
like a like a honey badger or something something uh something real real nice and cute and uh and just you know there for for the good times whatever is that like what hufflepuff is yeah we're just uh <laughs> we're trying to be everybody's friend that's our goal our goal is to work with everybody in the space i thought the thing about honey badgers where they were actually like vicious with claws and stuff yeah i thought that was, i don't know though you're not the first person to say honey badger uh-uh. um i think that's uh, because most people don't think about what animals or it could have been like dog my dog's a giant derp sitting in the house all day <laughs> uh, I don't know. Your, your company. Well, anyway, Brian, this was a great conversation. Thank you so much for being on. And everyone who's listening, uh, you know, look forward to a lot of podcast advertising and marketing content on Marketecture and on Sounds Profitable. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for subscribing to Marketecture. New interviews are added every week at Marketecture.tv and your favorite podcasting app.